Welcome to this sample audio clip, which comes from the conversation series featuring multi-hull pioneer Jim Brown. This segment comes from an interview that Jim conducted with sailor and designer John Marples. To find out more about this historic, multi-hull-oriented audio series, please visit us at www.outrigmedia.com. This is a, a talk between uh, two old friends, myself and my longtime uh, business partner and cruising buddy, sailing buddy, designing buddy, John Marples. We'd like to approach the subject of cruising when we did most of our cruising back in the 1970s. Wasn't it most the 1970s, John? Yeah. Yeah, I went cruising later in the 70s, and you were uh, earlier in the 70s. And uh, what we'd like to do is try to draw some kind of a comparison for our listeners between uh, the attitude, the very um, motivation between cruising back then and how it's going now. There seems to be a whole lot to it nowadays that avoids the essence that we experienced uh, back in the early days before GPS and before all the other uh, technical innovations and uh, and what uh, Dick Newitt calls the modern inconveniences of today's so-called cruising. And uh, I, I think it would be well for us to try to draw some comparisons here so that uh, the listener can decide for himself whether or not all of the uh, – expensive and and uh, rather cumbersome uh, prone to failure uh, contraptions of today's cruising really adds to the cruising experience that's the way I see it eh John well yeah let me um, start off with um, with the preface the first paragraph of the preface of Quen Cultra's book called Queequeg's Odyssey. It was written back in the, in the early 70s um, after he did a circumnavigation. And he says, With little money and no previous experience in boat construction, sailing, or navigation, I built a trimaran in a Midwestern barnyard, launched it in the Illinois River, and sailed around the world. I'm an ordinary young man, no genius or physical strongman, raised on an Illinois farm in the heartland of America. But with a lot of hard work and study, I fulfilled my dream. And I think that kind of says it in a nutshell. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's, it's people with a yearning to, uh, to go see some foreign ports and uh, have some adventure and um, who, uh, who, who want to um, become more self-sufficient and uh, rely, reliant on their own wits, you know, to, um, to, to get where they want to go. And, and uh, therein lies the real, you know, crux, the, the real uh, encouragement to go 
it's uh, it, it's it's the adventure. I see it that way, uh, John. It seems to me like uh, like uh, if it really is the adventure that people are going for, that um, a lot of the a lot of the stuff they're taking along with them is to deprive them of that adventure. And uh, I don't I don't think a lot of it adds to the cruising experience. I'm not saying that we should get rid of GPS because it's wonderful to know that you're not going to get lost. But I must say, it's also quite wonderful sometimes to be lost. <laughs> I mean, that's adventure, <laughs> when yeah. you don't know where you are. <laughs> well, and the other part of that is, even with GPS, um, you might find yourself lost, because um, some of the islands are still not correctly placed on the Earth's surface in the charts that you will be using for navigation. Uh, they might be several several miles off or more still uh, because they haven't been updated to this uh, to this new GPS standard that we use. And uh, you found there that it lies in the South Pacific, didn't you? Yeah, there's a significant danger there. We we actually uh, heard of boats getting shipwrecked, uh, a couple of them in fact, uh, because they were um, sailing by an island at night and um, not giving it a very wide berth, feeling was going to put them in the right you know position with respect to the island when in fact the island was dead ahead uh, because it was misplaced on the chart and uh, I, I know of two boats um, that were that were lost that way and that was in the very early early years and I, I doubt uh, whether a lot of those charts because these these if we're talking about remote islands the necessity for uh, updating the, the the charts may not have even um, even today, um, you know, become uh, strong enough for the uh, for the charting agencies to uh, to make the changes. And and if you're using old charts, um, it'll definitely be true. And and charts are are one of the things that are difficult to come by and are very expensive. And uh, so just you know, being aware that that could be a, a you know a difficulty uh, gives you that much more safety. You know. Well, I, I wonder, uh, John, about the, the the cost. Do you want to address the issues of cost first? Well, right. Um, you know, anybody considering going cruising is is, um, is doing so because um, they probably have a boat and um, they've done enough sailing to realize that. Um, gee, that boat for the cost of groceries uh, could could take them to far off ports. Um, and so there's um, there's always that um, that that punch list of things that uh, people will come up with that, that says, gee, what do I need to go cruising? And you know, depending on who you talk to, there will be different priorities in that list. And some of the stuff on the list can just be flat out, you know, uh, uh, omitted because it's uh, it's it's just going to add a, a lot of complexity and cost to the boat, but it really doesn't add significantly to the experience. Well, that's one thing you and I have seen in so many of our clients, eh, is that uh, they they spend everything they've got getting the boat built and outfitted to their imagined desires and uh, then end up without enough money to really go anywhere. 
Yeah, and if they do, um, they're going to spend a significant amount of time sitting in various ports and so forth waiting for parts for some of that gear when it breaks down. We, we saw that as being um, quite prevalent in, uh, in our travels. And um, the, the only time that we had a, a piece of gear break down was the depth sounder packed up. Uh, we left it with the electronics guy in, in Suva, Fiji, and went cruising for a month out into the outer islands um, and never missed it. You know, we had um, we got used to throwing the lead uh, on a line and um, and and then you know judging the depth of the water by its color. You didn't really need a depth sounder, so there's a lot of stuff you can really do without. Well, <laughs> uh, people are shocked these days that I tell them that uh, we made our original three-year cruise as a family. Uh, without even a, a VHF radio on board, uh, we we thought that it would uh, crash the scene, you know. But nowadays, um, a great many cruisers really live by their radios. Yeah, we, we had a VHF and we used it very, very little. Every every uh, freighter that I ever tried to call um, that we passed, uh, you know, mid-ocean, never responded. Um, and I, I know that that some of the cruisers, um, you know, have these handheld uh, VHS that they carry around in their back pocket, um, so they can talk to all their friends uh, while they're ashore on the boat or anything. They use it like a telephone. But gee, you know, when it comes down to it, that just further insulates you from the culture that you're visiting, um, and gives, you know, makes makes the the um, the desire, you know, to uh, to to reach out to the local people uh, even less. Uh, just it's a diversion, you know. You could do without. Boy, we've talked about that, John. I, I see a tremendous difference between uh, today and yesteryear in the uh, willingness of uh, of sailors to really immerse themselves in foreign cultures, languages ports and uh, and to to travel over land um what was it you were saying about the rallies oh right you know there's um there's an increasing number of these cruising rallies where you you join a group and uh, and you just go in mass and they and they they go uh, into the caribbean they they go into europe they go uh, into the south pacific and sure, it's it's a great safety net for people to travel in a group, but uh, when you uh, when you get to uh, where you're going, uh, the group tends to stay together as sort of a, a big clique, you know, and and it just stays um, uh, such that um, the the people don't don't reach out, they don't learn anything about the culture, they see the sights and so forth, but they they stick around by themselves um, as as tourists. And, and never talk to any of the locals, and that's that's sort of a that's sort of a sad commentary. Um, I can understand that some people, you know, might go cruising uh, in a, in a rally who would never uh, venture off by themselves, um, and maybe it, it, it increases the possibilities uh, for for those people. But um, as a as a method to go see uh, foreign you know, foreign lands. Uh, I think it falls far short of what they really want to 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 get out of it, and that's contact with the the culture itself. Well, maybe they they would like to have that contact uh, 
particularly before le- leaving. Um, uh, but I, I, I understand the fear that uh, is involved with uh, trying to immerse yourself in, in uh, an experience, a culture shock. Um, I really don't think that in, in our cruise with our family, I really don't think that we would have stopped, at least not as for long as we did and um, and uh, uh, actually move ashore and live and work in a foreign country. I don't think we would have done that unless we had been forced to. Um, as you remember, I, I got sick uh, down there in, in southern Mexico, and by the time we got to Guatemala, I had to get ashore. I came down with hepatitis, and we didn't know what it was at the time and all of that. Um, but the the uh, the fact that our cruising schedule had been interrupted forcefully. That is, we had to stop long enough so that it was then important to stick around until the next sailing season in order to avoid those uh, terrible uh, cyclones that they have on the uh, western seaboard of Central America, the so-called Chubascos. Um, we, we had to stop for, for about eight months in in guatemala and it turned out to be the best thing that happened to us on the whole trip you know (laughs) without being forced to enter the local culture move ashore you know rent a house go to school to study the language we all went to school to study spanish without all that uh, our trip wouldn't have been anything like it it was the way it turned out I'm so glad I yeah. got sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know that that comes down to one of the the primary things that um, uh, really is part of a personal preparation before you go cruising, and that that is research. Um, when you have an idea that you'd like to go visit somewhere, um, first on on your mind is is getting there. But you know what what really needs to happen is you really need to research um, the place itself, um, find out what the language is, and you know find out as much as you can about the people. So you so you're you know you're fully prepared when you get there. Um, you you need to you know get the charts and uh, hopefully hard copies of charts, or at least uh, if you can borrow charts, you can copy them at the at the local. Um, blueprint store, you know, it's got a big digitizer. You can run them through and get a decent copy of them, that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, uh, that's that's part of a, a personal preparation before you go. Just uh, wanting to go and jumping on the boat um, to get there is is going to, you know, probably give you some grief unless you're um, you know, you know what you're going to be up against uh, with the. Uh, the local officials and uh, what uh, what the local cultures are like. Thanks for listening. For more like this or to obtain the complete audio conversation, come visit us on the web at www.outrigmedia.com.